Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thanks, honey. Uh, If you're wondering why I called her honey, that's my wife. If you're visiting, um, I don't call all the Bible readers that, just to clarify. Hey, um, it's a great joy and privilege to be with you here this morning. Uh, If you've grown up in sort of... um, I guess, liturgical churches or churches with a lot of tradition, I'll say something like, Christ is risen. Oh, there you go. There's a few of us here with that background. The rest of us who grew up in Brethren background, we're like, what did he just do? You're getting a bit nervous. It's okay. It's okay. Um, friends, this morning, uh, I guess what I want to do is begin by praying, and then I've got a couple of questions for you to consider. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you are risen. And whoever we are and whatever journey we're in, we pray that you continue to reveal yourself, Lord Jesus, to us. And more than anything else, we walk away knowing you as our risen King. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, um, this morning I want to ask a couple of questions. If you're someone who's new to the Christian faith, a little bit skeptical about the Christian faith, uh, maybe you've been burnt by the church, uh, you, maybe you're coming on a Sunday just out of tradition. That's what you do on Easter Sunday. Well, the question I have for you this morning is, what are you living for? What are you, what, what are you hoping in? What's your hope in? Maybe if you are a follower of Jesus... And, and this Sunday is a wonderful Sunday, isn't it? If you are a follower of Jesus, it's a wonderful reminder that we have a risen King, a risen Lord. But I also have the same question for you. As you look at your week, as you consider the week that's just been, or maybe the week that's ahead, maybe even this year that's ahead, what's your hope in? What are you putting your hope in? Many years ago, back in the 90s in high school, uh, I also had a great hope, a great dream. I was hoping that I would become a pilot in the Royal Australian Air Force. Some of you are laughing and smiling, and I'm not sure why. now, I had a group of friends, so we used to hang out together, we used to read all the plane magazines. I was determined I was going to be a pilot to fly the F-18 Hornet. Now, that was what the RAAF at the time flew, and I thought... That's it, I'm gonna, that's my life goal, that's my hope. As the years went ahead in high school, I found out a few things about the Royal Australian Air Force. One, you need to be very good at maths. Not me. I was involved in a maths group called Veggie Maths. 
If you're in the 90s, you know what that is. They try to make it sound really nice about calling it business maths, but it wasn't. Like, we all knew why we're there. We're not good at maths. The other thing I found out was there's height restrictions. I'm not sure why you're still laughing. <coughs> I'm not sure how that will go in our day and age these days, that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. It's a, stu- it's a really silly illustration, isn't it? But we all have hopes and dreams, don't we? We all have sort of, we aspire for, we're clinging to. And that's not a bad thing. They're all wonderful to hope for something, to dream for something. That's okay. But the question I have for you this morning is, are the things or the thing that you hope for, is it eternal or is it temporal? Is it eternal or temporal? The guy who's written this letter that, to a group of churches that Beck read out to you was a follower of Jesus. Not just a follower of Jesus, he was one of the key followers of Jesus. His name was Peter. Peter was there when Jesus called him to follow him. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. He was the guy who would make rash promises to Jesus. I'll do this, I'll do that for you. you know, and, and he would make all these big claims. But when the rubber hit the road, when Jesus was arrested... Peter was the first one who ran off and he actually denied Jesus. But Jesus on the third day when he was raised would pursue Peter, met him where he's at and restored him and showed grace and love. But not only that, Peter was a witness to the resurrection, the resurrected Christ. Not only that, he was a witness to the ascension of Jesus. And this guy, Peter, became a significant leader in the early church. He's most probably writing this letter from Rome and he's writing to a group of Jesus followers, a a community spread out what's known in modern day Turkey. And he wants to communicate a few things to them as he's writing this. Now we need to understand who he's writing to because it'll help us understand why Peter started here. So he's writing to a group of churches, most probably. They didn't feel as though they belonged in that community or that group in Rome in that time. See, here's the thing, right? As he's writing to them, often you see in 1 Peter this language of being exiles, sojourners. He's writing to a community of believers as though they don't actually belong in this world. And not only that, this was a group of Christians who were facing persecution. Now, when I talk about persecution, I don't mean they were blocked at the Facebook account of someone. I'm talking about real stuff. They would have most probably faced jail. Some of them would have been martyred for their faith. They would have been actually blocked from earning any kind of living. In many ways, they're also often seen as second-class citizens because of their faith in this Messiah, this Jesus. But their lives were never the same. They heard the good news of Jesus. They were impacted by this gospel. And their lives turned upside down. So this is what the church is facing at the time, those group of churches that Peter is writing to. How do you encourage this group? What do you get them to focus on? Well, what he does in verses 3 to 6 is this. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. These are beautiful words to a group of believers who are going through a really tough time. They're facing persecution. They're facing various trials. And what Peter does, he begins by causing their gaze to move away from what's temporal to a sure thing. Not a made-up thing. Maybe one day it's sort of a hope. This is a definite sure thing. It's actually causing their gaze to move away from their present circumstances. And in his opening and prayer, it's like a, if you can imagine if there were a church service in these uh, little groups that are meeting together and they open with prayer, they open with a blessing and they read this out. It is like a blessing being read out to this group of churches. But they're chosen by God, they're elect exiles. Not only that, they have been given full 100% access to the God of the universe through someone, through Jesus Christ. It is a prayer of comfort at the start. It's a, it's a blessing. And Peter wants to get them to gaze at this reality. And what he begins with is he sets the tone by telling them what their hope is in. Their hope is in this. It's a reminder of a life-changing truth that they are born again, that they have experienced the gracious mercy of God. And this born again, they're not just born again into some sort of religious group now. It's so much more beautiful. But they're born again to a living hope, a hope that is eternal, a hope that is real, a hope that is living But this is only possible because of a true historical event. I'm not sure if you heard it. He said, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus' physical bodily resurrection has eternal implications. See, Jesus' resurrection, not only for them and for you and I, gives us a living hope. Remember the question I asked you at the start? What is your hope in? Is your hope my hope? Is it an eternal thing? Is it an eternal perspective? Is it in the eternal living hope? Or ultimately to a hope that will come to an end? And all of this is built on the true fact that Jesus rose again from the dead. Christian friends, when you ponder and consider the resurrection of Jesus, do you see it as something that gives you a living hope? Or, often, when the resurrection is talked about, it can be used as just some sort of apologetical thing to convince people of. And that's fine. You should convince your friends who don't know Jesus. But do we miss the glorious beauty and the significance of this living hope that Christ has done because of his resurrection. And friends, if you don't know Jesus, maybe you're skeptical, maybe you're exploring, what are you putting your hope in? Is it hope based on what's in this world? But see, 
Jesus' resurrection, because it is real, it did really happen, proves to you and I there is actually more to life beyond what is in this world. There's more to this life beyond things that are just temporal hope. See, Peter wants to address this group of churches and he wants to say the living hope that he speaks of actually has eternal ramifications. Because of Jesus' resurrection built on that foundation first, he says to the churches, they've been given something. They've been given something so beautiful. They've been given something that's eternal to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What Peter is doing in this moment is contrasting a few things for the churches that he's writing to. He's reminding them, hey guys, you have an inheritance. This inheritance is not like the inheritance that you have in this world. The inheritance that you receive in this world eventually will perish. But what you have is imperishable. The inheritance in this world, ultimately, actually, it's defiled because it's of this world. But what you have is undefiled. And not only that, this inheritance, unlike the inheritances of this world, will fade away. This inheritance that God has for you is unfading. And what's wonderful is the way that he communicates this. He says it's being kept or guarded It's like it's been kept and guarded in heaven's safety deposit box for you. But notice how it's done, though. Is it kept safe and guarded based on what you do here on this earth? That somehow you earn brownie points, and then somehow once those you earn those brownie points, then God says, yes, you've done it. Well done. Here you go. No. Do you see it in verse 5? who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It is God's gracious power. His power that is holding it together, is is protecting it. And as his community grow in Jesus, in what he's done, as their gaze is to a living hope, as they trust in God, they're experiencing God's work in them. But not only that, do they experience eternal life right there and then, but they will also experience the fullness of that eternal life when they stand before that God who will reveal that to them. It's a beautiful picture of a gracious God who's at work. It's a beautiful picture. It's all God's work. It's His grace. It's His assurance. All because of one person, Jesus Christ and what he's done. His gracious gift of salvation and the true of his resurrection. This is why we have eternal hope. Friends, do we believe this? Do we rest in this? Christian friends, I don't know about you, for those of us who've grown up in Christian circles for a while, it's very easy to, once again, with anything that is so familiar, just becomes familiar. Have you ever thought, is there anything that you did to earn salvation? No. It was Christ's work. 
Is there anything that you can do to lose your salvation? No. God is guarding it. He's keeping it. There's assurance in these words. This is why there is a living hope. Such assurance. So Christian friend, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Do you see how the resurrection of Jesus is significant? Not just then, but even today. Because here's the thing. If Jesus did not physically rise from the dead, whether if you're a skeptic or a follower of Jesus, there is actually no point for us to come on Sunday morning, ever. Do you know, if Jesus had not rise from the dead, you and I have no way to be born again. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we do not have an eternal inheritance. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there is actually no heaven, there is no God. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there is no salvation. All that is left is completely opposite. All we would be is a religious group proclaiming the truths of a decaying religious leader that once existed. In Jerusalem. You and I would still be defiled in our sin. You and I would be tempted to think that we can earn our holiness or righteousness. We would be people of no hope. I don't know if you guys remember this past week. Uh, there was the fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral. Did you guys see that? Yep. This picture was sort of making the rounds on social media, both from friends of mine who don't know Jesus and friends who do. In the moment, it's like it's a striking picture, really, because here in the midst of all this old cathedral in history and all the stuff that was getting burnt down, the thing that stood was that cross. Now, there's a science to it, by the way, just letting you know when you have pure gold that's built in a particular way and there's fire, you know, something happens, other things burn, but this one didn't. But there is something that stirs in people when we see that, particularly for those of us who know Jesus. A sense, right in the midst of a fiery realities of life, when we have a living hope, it shines brightly, no matter what's going on in your life. Because we do have a living hope. The death and resurrection of Jesus confirms that for you and me. See, here is a group of churches that Peter's writing to. He's reminding them, hey, firstly, you have this living hope based on the foundation of a resurrected king. And then he says, based on this foundation, he says in verse 9, so... Sorry, in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. That is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here is a group of churches, a community of believers that are facing various trials. 
Uh, they could be anything from persecution, and in the way that this is written, it says it could be even the daily battle of sin in your life. But it's a variety of things that are going on. Variety of trials, variety of, in a sense, a heat that's burning into your life. And you know what Peter says? Hey, get, o- get over it, get away. No. Peter says to them, hey, this is necessary. This is necessary. Did you know it is a package deal? If you commit to following Jesus, you will face persecution. You will face trial. It's not an option. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus. And in this language that Peter says to them is that as you face what's going on, it's like a testing. And he uses this language of gold and he talks about how their faith is far more, more precious than gold. What he's saying is that these impurities in your life are being churned away, being cut away as you face these things, as you look to the living hope, as you stand on the resurrected king. It is for your good and for your growth. So on that day when you stand in eternity... What you hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. I love how Peter writes to this church. He's not saying to them, now just suck it up. Get on with it. Face the trial. How does a believer face the fiery trials? Is it just sort of just suck it up and you just need to get on with it? No, friends. I don't know if you picked it up. It's all based on their relationship with Jesus. Do you see the words that he says? By their love for Jesus. By their belief in him. By that sort of foundation, it forms in them such a rejoicing because they know they can hang on because there's something far better coming for them. A far better living hope. That on that day, They have received salvation, but they will receive the fullness of their salvation. There's a wonderful picture that when you have new life in Jesus, your salvation cannot be taken away. In fact, there's a day coming, the fullness of that will be shown on that last day. And that is, in a sense, the motivation. But it's driven out of a relationship with Jesus. As we go into more loving Him, as we go and trust in Him, in our belief in Him, this grows in us a rejoicing. And that is also true for the churches of that time and for anyone who is a follower of Jesus today. In recent times, you've probably seen a lot of the things that are going in the media when we, as Christians, particularly in the West, see something that's happening And we say, injustice, not fair. What about our rights? Where's our rights as Christians? Friends, I understand we live in a democratic world and we do have things that protect us in some sense for now. But listen, there are plenty of brothers and sisters in Christ who don't cry out that. That's just normal for them. This past week, I was told by a friend of mine who's involved with City to City, a network that I'm involved with. He uh, serves at a country that City to City is part of. And he was telling me about how this person 
was uh, being quite um, active in sharing the love of Jesus, by sharing the living hope, by talking about the resurrected king. And the country that is in was uh, certain groups who were aware of what he was doing. They warned him, you need to stop. And he's a citizen of that country. He could have called out and said, as the citizen, I have a right to say what I want because apparently we have freedom of religion. He was warned many times. And one day, he didn't come to church. And they haven't found him. As the church realized what had happened, and they grieved, they talked about how what was given to them was wonderful truth. But this person constantly reminded them of the living hope in Jesus. That this person communicated to them that their trust is not the things of this world and they don't need to cry out injustice. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And so, what is this church doing now? Showing, proclaiming the love of Jesus. And at the cost of their own life. Friends, the reason why I'm sharing that with you is in this world that we live in, particularly in Australia at the moment, we may cry out injustice. I want you to know we have a saviour. If you think about his trial, was it just? It was not just. I don't think we as Christians should expect anything less. And I think sometimes why we lose sight of that in the moment of the world that we live in is because we move our gaze away from the living hope that we have. And our hope then is transferred to the things of this world. And our focus moves away from the risen Savior who rules and reigns. And rather our hope is moved to things that is temporal. Friends, if you're someone who's skeptical about all of this, I want you to know the Christian faith is the only faith that will honestly tell you that you can keep trying to put your faith in temporal things. But it will not give you any kind of hope. All the other faiths in general will say you can achieve your, own, your hope. You can achieve your hope. But that will never satisfy you. Because there's only one hope that is a true living hope. There's only one hope that goes beyond this life. And I want you to know this idea of a a living hope is not just some sort of philosophical term that we throw around that becomes part of our Bible jargon. See, did you know that there is no living hope until we look and gaze at Jesus Christ, the resurrected one? I love in this section of 1 Peter Peter's writing to this church and he wants to make it very clear. Living hope is not just some this thing that out there. No, it's a person. It's grounded in a person. Peter says in verse 3, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 5, he's the resurrected Jesus. In verse 7, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in verse 8, it, the object or the, the, the focus that they need as a church is not themselves and their circumstances, but it is a person. It is Jesus Christ. There is no living hope if there is no resurrected Jesus Christ. Because it's only in Him we see and know true living hope. 
because he is the resurrected one. And it's in him that we build our foundation as we gaze at him. He's our living hope. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Friends, once again, if you're someone who's skeptical to the good news of Jesus, I want you to know something. There is a creator God who created this world. This world that he created, he's the one who formed and shaped life. He's the living one who entered this world through Jesus Christ. Because the world wanted to find hope in other things, but ultimately we all said to God, no thanks, you're not my hope, I will be my own hope. Jesus sends, is sent as the Son, the living one, who goes to the cross, who dies for your sin and my sin, and on the third day is raised again. For those of us who put our trust and faith in him, not only do we get eternal life, we get Jesus, the living hope. And one day Jesus will return again. And when he returns, he will come to judge if you have a relationship with him, you will experience the fullness of eternal life. If you don't have a relationship with him, he will judge you and you will spend an eternity in hell without him. And Christian friends, as you head into this week, as you look at this week, maybe ask yourself the question this morning, where is your hope this morning? What is your hope in this morning? Is it that next job promotion? Is it maybe building that super fund? It might be being able to get that next contract so you can set yourself up. What's your hope in? Is it living or is it temporal? Is it eternal or is it temporal? Maybe there's some of us really feel like, Shabu, I am facing trial, and you have no idea. Friend, I don't. You might be facing the deepest of trials at the moment. But let me read this to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance through the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Whatever trial you're facing today, you have a living hope. Look to your Savior again. And maybe there is someone in your life that God is prompting you right now who needs to hear these comforting words. Friends, have you ever considered that sometimes the best thing to do with someone who's going through various things, who feels like there's no hope, is to open something like this and just read it to them. So they find comfort in the living hope. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Friends, when Jesus becomes the living hope, when he is the foundation of all of life, what happens is all of our life now is changed focus. Our everyday life doesn't become about us. It becomes about him. And that means that you and I are not just meant to keep this to ourselves. We've been sent to a world that are looking for hope. And it's only in Jesus that we will find that. And it's only in Jesus, your friends, in your workplace, in your school, your neighborhood, wherever God has placed you, this is where they will find hope in.
Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are our great resurrected King. We thank you so much that for those of us who know you, we have been given a living hope, something that's eternal. Help us to find assurance and hope in that. Help us to rest in that truth. And as we, as your people, are sent out, help us to live with that as the foundation. We thank you, Jesus, that you're risen. For those of us who don't know you, would you challenge us? Would you stir our hearts relentlessly till we encounter you, our resurrected King? In your mighty name we pray. Amen.